You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. And we have with us back again, Chris Ong, who previously was on the show to talk about dividend investing as a form of mental wellness. Right. But today we're going to take a little of a different approach and a sort of tapping on your infamous blog post long time ago okay. of who should pay for the first date. Okay, who should pay for the first date. <laughs> Alright, that's easy. <laughs> yeah. So starting off with that, right? what do you think? Just off the bat. Okay, I paid for my first date. We went to this pretty boring sushi restaurant. Mm. Maybe I came from a different generation. I don't see anything wrong with a guy paying for the first date. Mm-hmm. But I do understand that um, Gen Z men are coming under a lot of financial pressure. Mm. And if you go on a Tinder date and you have many, many first dates, I'm not sure whether it's sustainable to pay for the first date for, for every date that you get. Yeah you're, yeah, you're right. So for me, like if I have a first date, I'll move on to multiple dates. Then then I marry her, you know, it's, it's different, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So so for younger people, they might have 20, 30 first dates a year. Yeah, that's that's a different situation. You're right. I mean, yeah. I, I think that there is like that financial pressure, especially if yeah. you're talking about that Tinder example, right? And I have that's to, right. Like, empathy for, for men if they're going on like 20 first dates in, in a month and if that's it, a lot yeah. yeah I mean just imagine uh, yeah. you're kind of like going five times a week and that actually takes a toll on your expenses yep that's right but then like uh, you know I wanted to reference like a recent viral clip shared by a relationship influencer called Oloni who okay. has around like over 200,000 followers on Instagram and she actually reads this WhatsApp exchange between this girl, her friend, and a guy that she's supposed to go on a date with. <laughs> and she asks if, you know, are you going to organize like a pickup for me, like transport? And then his reply was literally like, I quote, I'm not able to do any of those. Get a cab, train or bus for yourself. We'll find my way there too. Which I think is a fair reply. Okay. But 8.4 million people actually watched this clip on Twitter. And, you know, some people were just outraged by this guy's rude message. So we're not even talking about paying for the meal, right? It's about even right. paying for the transport there. And and there has been a lot of conversations just over the years on who splits the bill. And then, you know, there has been the talk about like gender equality as well. Okay. So you think things have changed from the time that you went on your first date to now? Okay, I think the, the important question is, is this a relationship between adults? I, I think that, that, is, <laughs> that is the most important question. Hmm. The reason is because as you move from uh, Gen X to Millennials to Gen Z, uh, one point that sociologists have discovered is that the stage whereby people become adults constantly gets deferred mm. as we move from one generation to another. So now we're overgrown children. Maybe. You see, for my generation, uh, if you've completed a university degree and you're financially stable, you know, you can actually like get a PTO and you could go to ROM. Mm. For Millennials, not so. They might want to shop around. Now, that's not completely bad. You know, there is a system in computer science, it's called the solution to the secretary's problem where you should spend 37% of your time just shopping around and not Mm. having any serious ideas about what dating should be like. Mm. 
right? And increasingly, I, I think guys are applying that formula subconsciously into their dating and, and Tinder sort of enables this method of dating. If it's going to be something that is really casual, no strings attached, and I'm not really serious about the person, I, I just want to understand my own personal preferences, right? Mm. Yeah, it does make sense for it to be so casual that you might want to split the bill, you might not want to uh, bring the transport over. But once you have completed that training phase where you understand what your preferences are, mm. and the next person that comes around, it's something more serious. It might be a keeper and all that. Then maybe you can transition to my model where, yeah, you might want to pay for first date. You, mm. you might want to bring the transport. But of course, you need to spend more time to do your due diligence, right? Mm. So, yeah. So which stage is the guy in? You see in stage one, when he's shopping around and he's spending 37% of his time that he's allocated into dating to actually build a pool of like he understands his women and what kind of preferences he wants. Mm. Or see in stage two, the remaining uh, 63% mm. where he, he could land the right one at the time. But things that he, he's not going to be transparent to the lady what, what he's trying to do, what his dating preferences is going to be. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. I'll take it one step further and think about it. If I were a guy, I'll see it as a filter where, right. you know, if somebody's raging about the fact that I'm not paying for their transport on the first date, then I just cross this person out. I mean, that could be one way you filter someone. Depends on what kind of filters you have. It may be possible that the lady is looking for someone serious and she's mm. in stage two, but the guy's mm. in stage one. Yes. Yeah, the thing about stage one is that no matter how attractive the other party is, mm. they enter into the reference pool. They, they're just there as a data point. Mm. So I know not everybody will, will talk about this problem, secretary's problems, might be the first time it happens on a podcast, but mm -hmm. actually it is algorithmically the most optimal method of finding someone. Mm. Yeah, and there is even a mathematical proof why it's 37% and not 36%, for example. So there's yeah. the secretary's problem concept. Yeah. But one thing that has been trending on TikTok, mm. which has 500 million views, is hashtag high-value man. Okay, high-value man. And this, this concept of a high-value man is, quote, somebody who embodies traditional masculine values are leaders and providers okay. are quote-unquote good at being men okay. and they want a woman that is good at being a woman. Okay. And and this assumes that uh, if you want to be a high-value man, they are able to you know financially provide for their partners. And this kind of like turns the whole notion of like, you know, if we look at feminism and they want to kind of like split the bill. Right. You know, okay, it's a different I, kind of I concept. don't think high value men is a new invention. It's been around for a very long time. I've stated on my blog mm. 70% of men are not marriage material because uh, they're not rich enough, and women really do tend to zero in on the top 30%. If they can, what mm. I mean is that if mm. they can, right? Generally speaking, nothing much has changed. If you really understand what a value of a guy is, it's really about his economic resourcefulness and where he stands on the economic spectrum. And that's why uh, when men get together, there is a lot of toxicity. We ask each other what we do at work. The hidden I mean, women is also to... ask each other what we do for work. Yeah, but for <laughs> men, there is a tendency to build a hierarchy, mm. right? And that's where the alpha male comes in. So if, if you have a bunch of friends hanging out together, it's like there is this totem pole that would begin to build up between them. Can you give me an example of how this conversation goes? I think it, for the modern example, it would be more instructive to talk about WhatsApp groups that I'm in. So I've got a group where we were ex-colleagues. Mm. And uh, there is a lot of posturing when it comes to, like, for example, Rolex watches. Mm. What car you drove. Yeah, and, and I think it's very toxic. They would, like, 
put up a job like a JD from the web and say, hey, why don't you take a look at this this one? Which I think in, is actually a, quite patronizing, right? In a gathering, like no, no, you know, in a WhatsApp group. In a WhatsApp a group, group. Of guys, oh, I see. Right? Yeah, and this group started out when they are colleagues and they are re- they're in the same level. But mm. over the years, you know, people evolve, people change. People's life paths diverge. Yeah, and, it's and, very and for different. the people that sort of like dropped out, uh, they maybe they didn't do so well in in the economic sphere. They will rich quit. Mm. Yeah, somebody actually rich quit the the chat group. Mm. Yeah. For me, I was sort of lucky because I actually wasn't in that work team. I stumbled upon that chat group because uh, they have a generally positive impression on me. And I'm a little bit like an alien. I, I just wanted to study how the middle class in Singapore works. Mm. Yeah, as part of being an outcast all these years, being a Dungeons and Dragons kind of outcast, I, I would just observe them like an anthropologist would. Like, and, and I'm very <laughs> transparent about my intentions. <laughs> I sit mm. down there and I see this guy rich quit and, and, and one or two of them actually did very well. Uh, some of them, they sold their homes at a great profit. Mm. So, so as you see, their lives begin to evolve, right? And uh, other people don't. Yeah, and, and quietly, there's always this idea that, oh, this person is better than this person, this person is better than this person. And it doesn't speak or bode very well about male friendships in general, I mm. think. Yeah. You know, if you talk about the totem pole, would the women then rank them in a certain way or they would rank them according to their outward presentations of wealth? Okay, my, my philosophy has always been men will rank themselves in a way that will prove that women approve of. Men will never rank themselves <laughs> in a way that women do not approve of. Mm. So if women are going to go practice, for example, hypergamy, right, from, from, from an anthropologist terms, then men will just rearrange themselves around of economic wealth. Mm. In Singapore, that is very true. And uh, some of the stories I heard when, when SDU was still around, I think they're still around, but they're, they're, they're a lot more stealthy. SDU, right? Social Development Unit. Right. It's like guys who talk among themselves, women who talk among themselves. And then something disruptive would happen. A pilot would walk in and all the women would surround the pilot and they would <laughs> ignore the rest of the guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but similarly, uh, when when a very beautiful woman walks by, then they'll get swarmed by guys. Mm. And it's very demoralizing for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fortunately, I, I, I did not go through uh, SDU. SDU. Yeah, yes. yeah, for me. But do you think that people still organize themselves that way? I mean, the driving assumption there is that women look for economic. I don't think that's ever going to change. Mm. Um, people will attempt to change it. Mm. But it's the same from the Middle Ages until today, right? So I would rather prepare my children for that day when they would have to go out and date people. Obviously, dating platforms will change. Kind of currencies you have might even change. Mm-hmm. But that idea of economic resourcefulness is not going to change. Yeah. For but the purpose of this discussion, you have both a son and a daughter. Right. And they will grow up yeah. and date people. Mm. And then would you tell your son, okay, son, make as much money as you can, and then, okay, daughter, like go and find the most economically well-off person you can? Well, for my son, that does apply. I would say that in absence of any other motivation, just do it for money. Mm. And there's really no need for you to distract yourself. Maybe you're young and the women are not ready, you know, but if you just focus on building up your skills, you'll be valuable to other people, or you run a business, right? You you should just put your effort there. I, I don't think there is it will ever be a waste of effort mm. if you don't focus on your work or bringing value to, to the people around you. I mean, the same. I'll argue that the same advice can be said to your daughter where you also focus on building your wealth. Then uh, I, would, I would apply it differently. I would be more subtle. I, I would 
consider the latest trends in assortative mating. And I remind my daughter that the best guys are only available for the best women. Hmm. And the big difference between the younger generation and my generation is that in my generation, you know, if you, you date someone in the same campus, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. When you look at young people, people are like dating people in the same honours classification. I think that's really perverse, but that's what's happening in society, right? Mm. Sociologists call this assortative mating. And uh, when you look at our presidential candidates, their mm-hmm. wives are all very formidable women, mm-hmm. right? So the advice is you you don't have a choice. You If you really want the better guys out there, you just have to hit the books and put yourself in a place where these uh, more conscientious guys are going to appear in your life. They will always be in some area of maybe academia uh, mm. or they could be in some professional groups that are hard to get in and just too bad for you, you got to keep trying mm. and you do your best to get somewhere. And if you don't get somewhere, then you got to just settle, I guess. What, what else is there for you to do? So to be clear, when we define best or better, what factors is it determined by? Career... Yeah, it excellence. would be career excellence, professional groupings, right? Net worth. There will be a correlation with net worth. Mm. But I would say professional grouping would probably make more sense. Mm. Then going back to the, you know, you know where, we, where we first started off the question, like who should pay on the first date? Right. And you being, you know, very gentlemanly, like you say that, you know, if you, are, you see this as somebody <laughs> serious, then of course, you know, you will try to provide... Yeah, for that person, right? So then, I mean, then your assumption is that the the guy is the provider. I really don't see that's going to change. It mm. might transform because some social norm would change. I know feminists and and these progressive forces are working very very hard. Mm. But today, I read this report from a sociologist, and they say that they, they in America they surveyed the women who earn more than their husbands. Yeah. Right? And you find that they actually do more housework than, than women who earn just as much as their husbands. Wait, so, so to be clear, the women who earn more than their, more than husbands, their husbands do, more, do housework. more housework. So the women do more housework. Than the women who have sort of like similar salaries to their husbands. This was like a survey that was of like which, which country? US. US. In the US. And they say that it's that the women have to do housework mm. to lower the powerful differential between them and their spouses. Because the marriage will break down otherwise. So so I guess that's that's how they that's how they rationalize it. That is actually interesting. I mean I yeah. didn't think about the housework divide. Yeah. I think there was actually a, a movie documentary that was made out of this. Again, it was based on the US families or US couples right. where they talked about women doing you know, the lion's share of the housework. Right. And this was fueled by various factors. One is how aware they were. So sometimes there will be a stain on the table. So the guys can, will never be able to see it. Yeah. I mean, there are cases I like, yeah, you you never be able to see it. Right. So for them, it's not even a thing to do. Right. But then, like, let's say the other person in the in the household would totally see it and, and see, okay, I you know I need to do additional housework. Whereas for the guys, like, you know, I don't even see that as a problem. The yeah. other one is um, men, what they call the mental labor. This would be things like remembering their children's friends' birthdays. Yeah. Um, all these to do lists. I will um, never do that. You know, what you know, preempting needs. Right. And that is a lot of uh, mental labor that goes unseen because, like, you know, it is mental labor. It takes work, it takes time to think about such things and plan for things. But a lot of that is not maybe not detected by the guys, right? Yep. And um, the third one, which I think that people can relate to as well, is like in this documentary, the women were saying that they did try to get their husbands to help out in the house, with the house, but because of the 
low quality of housework that was being done yep. or just the lack of, they just thought that it was much easier for them to do the housework by themselves instead of asking right. their better halves to do the work for them. Right. So I think that these factors could also be what is like leading to the, the, the higher, like them doing the lion's share of the housework. Yeah, Doesn't so, matter so if that's going to be the case, you guys are so bad at housework, then <laughs> I think it's only fair that uh, we bring in more money from the outside. Yeah, mm. it's just that I don't think the economy can sustain that. Hmm. Yeah, because guys are not doing well in education. You're saying um, this has been a trend that you're seeing yeah. globally. Globally, but somehow not in Singapore. Singapore is actually quite well balanced. Mm, fine, I think so, yes. Right? But uh, in many other countries, guys are dropping out, they are not finishing school. Then you've got basically pool of uh, working class men and a pool of professional women that uh, cannot settle down. Yes, I yeah. think... Um, I think you might be familiar with the, the work that Professor Scott Galloway has been talking about. He actually talks about that. His concern that, you know, with this, with exactly the trend yeah. that you're talking about, there's going to be a huge imbalance. Yep. And it will be exactly like what you said. It will be difficult for even heterogeneous couples get like a man and a woman to get together because of that divide. And, and women, if, you know, that thing still stands that they're always looking to marry somebody who is economically on par with them, Right. there wouldn't be a very big pool for them. Yeah, that's why on my blog, I talked about why government agencies should serve professional women and working class men at the same time. But nobody would listen to me because <laughs> it's such a ridiculous idea. None of my friends say it's a good idea. They think it's a terrible idea. But I think that it's a very crucial idea that you get a agency started because uh, you really don't know when you're going to need this, you know, when it happens. Yes, but then because we talked about this trend where there yeah. is that growing <laughs> imbalance... So then going back to that thing of like, who pays for what? I still think that if my son is a working class guy mm. and he gets a date with like some medical specialist, he should still pay for his first date. How about subsequent I'll be dates upset. after that? I'll be upset with him if he doesn't, personally. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But subsequently after that? Subsequently, if they decide to have subsequent dates, they should understand that my son's means are not very strong, right? Mm. And so you should eat at places where he can afford to pay for the meal, mm. right? Maybe on his birthday, then maybe if she wants to pay for the meal, then you can go for some Michelin three star once or twice, it's fine. But go for a cheaper meal. I think it's actually very difficult to dislodge like gender norms mm. uh, over the years, you know. It could take multiple generations you know, and there's always these progressive forces that believe that things can be more ideal mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just built into your DNA you know? what can you do? I think I'll give you the alternative mindset right like from a female perspective sometimes women I mean feminists or not like them they, they do want to split the bill equally right. and sometimes it's a sign of whether or not they are interested in you Okay. so the, the premise is that if they split the bill equally they feel that they owe you nothing and thus they do not want to see you ever again oh no that, that's fine that's mm. fine completely fine in that process but what I'm saying is that if you're a couple mm. right and you've got a working class guy and a professional woman mm. Mm. one way is to just earmark the money mm. like if the guy pays for the electricity he uh, he, he pays for the meals, then he's a provider of the family that's good enough. Mm. Maybe the mortgage is shared, mm. right? But if the wife is a high earner and she also wants to contribute, she can always pay for expensive holidays to Japan and all that's fine. Mm. You know, and, and, and the family unit can, can sort of work. But there are some traditional families and in some cultures, the guy still has to sort of provide, right? Yes. Yeah, so just let him pick up the bill for the groceries. La. And, and if salary is not enough 
for even the groceries, right? Yeah, then I really think that he shouldn't get married. I mean, that, mm. that I think is fair, right? Mm. I think your guy... Yeah, the basics need to be there and, and the salary needs to sort of reflect that. Mm. Yeah. And, and if you find that uh, blue-collar workers cannot even pay for groceries, half a mortgage, there's something wrong with that society and the way they treat their blue-collar workers. Mm. Yeah, there's a different thing altogether. Yeah, that's, right? a, different that's kind a much of deeper problem. Yeah, it's a deeper problem. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, over, over the next 20 to 30 years, you will find that blue-collar workers are going to be the most discriminated people in most modern societies. What's the, what's the thought process behind that? Look at our parliament. Mm. Is there a non-degree holder mm. in our parliament? There isn't, mm. right? So when I come up with a policy for polytechnics and ITEs, they're for other people's children. This is the seed of some problem that will happen in 50 years' time. Mm. So I guess like summing up from a first date perspective, which is the topic that we started with, right. The guy should pay. Guy should pay. And if it's a longer term perspective based on the respective incomes of both parties, then it could be shared equally for the basic expenses and right. any additional discretionary spend can be powered by the individual who's pulling more of the income. Right. right. So it's very it's like a very, very clear, very clear perspective from you then. It's not like uh, Yeah, it's a little state. old school. Uh, I mean Gen yeah, Z might not buy school. it, you know. So uh, I guess it was like a fun session. I think we kind of like came into it yeah. where, I mean, talk, paying for the first date, this topic is very often talked about and the different groups really see it, you know, like the feminists would have a different perspective, right. like the old school guy, like somebody who's more old school would definitely go with your perspective and it's like a fiercely debated topic. Like I say, I, I really don't think it should be fiercely debated if you sort of understand if you have a system for dating and you understand that the person is not serious, then maybe he wouldn't pick up the, the tab, you know. Mm. But once he's in a serious stage, yeah, generally he would. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 my stand. And yeah, but uh, I think we should give Gen Z guys a rest. They don't have a lot of money mm. and they can't really spend it on all dates. And going on that thread, because, you know, it's always good to have some form of investment income. And since you talk about investment income in your masterclass like right. for Gen Z males or Gen Z females or whoever who wants to find out more about your investment classes where can they find you okay they can find me uh, by googling ERM intro E-R-M-I-N-T-R-O take the first link and uh, for my next preview for my early retirement masterclass okay thank you Chris for being thank on you. thank you Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcasts at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from Mediacorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.